1: Hello, Husky fans, and welcome to another episode of the Yukon Pod. I'm your host, Dan Madigan, pinch hitting for Amon today. Uh, I'm joined by Dan Connolly, and we're here to talk some Yukon baseball. It's a big postseason series coming up for the Huskies this week as they take on Nebraska on Friday as part of the Oklahoma City Regional. But for those of you who might be a little late to the Yukon baseball bandwagon, we wanted to go through, give you a little rundown of the season and, and tell you what to expect and what to root for for the Huskies as they get ready to make an appearance at Omaha. So it's been an interesting start, interesting season for the Huskies. It started off with a big win over, big series win over number four Louisville, one of the highest ranked series wins in the Penders era. Um, After that, they kind of rolled through the the regular season schedule and and Penders became the program's all-time wins leader with his 557th win over Tulane uh, towards the end of the season. Uh, after a skid, they ran through the conference tournament. Uh, Dan, do you want to kind of take it from there and kind of give us a rundown on how the conference tournament went?
2: Yeah, it was a really good conference tournament. They took the momentum from the Tulane win they beat Houston and then got some luck by the eight seed Wichita state beating ECU, the number one overall seed who had lost three conference games all season won back-to-back games against them, eliminated them, got into the championship game, which, uh, according to the UConn website, and I think the internet never never happened. So uh, they just kind of waved that one off, decided not to play it, and now we're in the NCAA tournament.
1: Yeah, the uh, the Huskies definitely laid an egg in that championship game. Cincinnati kind of took them to the woodshed and, and, and blew them out. Um, didn't really affect the Huskies' tournament chances at, you know, made them come in through an at-large bid instead of an automatic qualifier. But um, nonetheless, by that point, the Huskies were firmly in the NCAA tournament with a 36 and 23 record. So, um, Dan, just to kind of get some of the fans on the podcast here up to speed about the Huskies this season, uh, just like it has been for the past five or six years or so, there's a few... Uh, players that have a real good chance of getting selected in the first few rounds of the uh, MLB draft. So why don't you go through and and run us through a few of the big names on the team and their chances of getting selected and when they will be called in the MLB draft later this month, later in June. Yeah,
2: so Mason Fioli this year is UConn baseball's token ace lefty, continuing the trend from Carson Cross, Anthony Kaye, Tim Kate. So he's kind of... He hasn't had a bad season by any means. His ERA is 3.5. Started the year kind of slow because he missed early on in the year with a triceps injury. Nothing serious, just some minor inflammation. Came back from that. Pitched much better down the stretch. Slipped up a little bit here and there, but he's far and wide UConn's best starter. He's the ace of the staff. He's the one that you want with the ball in their hands when they open against... Nebraska on Friday. You're looking at him definitely being a top 10 round pick. He's probably not going to go as high as Kay or Kate, who were first and second round picks, respectively, but I'd be surprised if he was towards the later end of that 10 round area. I'd say, if I had to guess, I think he'd be like fourth, fifth round pick somewhere in there. I mean, he's a really good lefty that scouts have said that he hides his pitches really well so he can deceive hitters that way. He's got a strong curveball, and just really great work ethic, work ethic, really good kid, strong arm, all things that you want. So he's going to be one of the top picks for UConn. And then in the back of the bullpen, you have Jake Wallace. He's UConn's closer. He's just been unbelievable this season in 37 innings pitched this year. He's allowed just three earned runs, walked just 10 batters, and has struck out 56. Opponents are hitting just 156 against him this season. He's been pretty much untouchable. If he's not the best closer in college baseball, he's very, very close to it. It's a little tougher to kind of project where relievers are going to go in the draft because Obviously they don't have, you can kind of find relievers where anywhere in the majors, but as a guy, who's kind of the best reliever in college baseball for any Red Sox fans listening, a really good comparison is Durbin Feltman, a Red Sox draft pick from last season who went in the fifth round. I believe I think fourth, fifth round's kind of a good range for him. He's got just a fireball for a fastball. He's hit triple digits this year. Usually sits around 97. He's got a wipeout slider, he, when he's on, he's completely untouchable. He's had a little bit of trouble with control late in the season, but he's still just far and wide. the best, One of the best closers in program history, even if his save stats don't really back that up. If we're going to go to the position players, shortstop Anthony Prado has just been one of the most solid players in recent program memory. He's hit above 300 his entire career. He's fast. He's a really good fielder. He's a little tougher to project, but I I think he's still a top 10-round guy, if not a top 15-round guy. He's just a really good baseball player. People around the program have said that no matter what level he's at, he's just going to hit 300 because you always hear the stories of these pro players that people can just tell they're different, and Prado is certainly a guy who's just different. You've also got Juco transfer Michael Woodworth. He's a really versatile defender for UConn. He's played center and second this year. He played some third last year. He's also really up to his hitting this year. He's hitting 319. Led the team with five regular season home runs. He was his OPS was over a thousand at one point. It's still in the eight hundreds, which is really, really good. It's really fast, really good with his glove. And just like Prado, he's just a good, good baseball player. And then senior captain, John Topa, I believe he's the only like true senior on this team, which is incredible for such a big program and a program that's usually pretty good at keeping its players in. But a lot of that has to do with guys getting drafted as a junior and just other factors. He's the left fielder hitting 318 this season for Homer. So some good power really underrated fielder. He's a bigger guy, but he can move. He's much quicker than you'd expect him to be. And in Clearwater this past weekend, he's made, he made a few highlight reel catches. So he's a much better fielder than he probably gets credit for. And I mean, not to keep repeating it, but just a really solid all around ball player, but just pretty much a typical UConn baseball player, just the type of players that Jim Penders uh, loves to get and has been really successful with the past few years. So those are kind of the big guys that are in the range to get drafted. And some other guys that are still um, guys to look out for are Caleb Worcester, a lefty freshman reliever who's been really good this year. C.J. Dandanoas, relief pitcher, also a senior. And then uh, freshman catcher Pat Winkles really come on recently. And then a guy like Kyler Fedko, also a freshman brother of postseason hero, Christian Fedko, has had a really good week down in Clearwater.
1: Yeah, and, and Dan, I think it's great that you were able to kind of go through and point out some of the players that, you know, aren't necessarily draft eligible this year, but still hot and, you know, could play a major role in the team's postseason performances this season. But uh, just jumping back to to fuel and Wallace really quickly, it's just, I think we're almost legally obligated to say this at this point, but, you know, those two players are just a credit to the program that Penders has kind of built Um with the with the given facilities, with everything else being in New England, being in the Northeast, being in snow, seems like eight months out of the year sometimes. Um, just yeah. an incredible, an incredible job. Uh, fueler was you know a lightly recruited kid uh, out of Rhode Island. I believe he was a midweek starter at one point and kind of worked his way into the rotation as as a freshman. Um, and, you know, he's kind of followed along like uh, K and Kate and turned into another dominant lefty ace for this team. And uh, Wallace was recently just named to the National Pitcher of the Year Award finalist. Um, only relief pitcher out of five. Uh, two of the starters are pretty much at least two of the starters based on what I can see here. Consensus uh, first and second round picks. So it just goes to show um not only the type of talent that UConn has and kind of justifies their being here uh, in, you know, the NCAA tournament, especially doing so well in a strong baseball conference like the American. Um, And it just shows, you know, how well Penders has done and uh, should be an interesting, you know, next few days down in Oklahoma City. Um, But I think, you know, this UConn team has as good of a chance as any of them have had in the past to make some noise and possibly get to Omaha.
2: Yeah, it's funny. Like you kind of look at how the baseball and League tournament works and it's not the same as others. It's you've got a four-team regional and then the winner of that regional goes to a super regional and then it's a best of three series with another team. And then if you win that best of three series, you get to Omaha. And if you just kind of look at it in a vacuum, it does, like it seems like it should be easy to get to Omaha. You have to win five games and you can lose two. So you have to go five and two. And obviously it's not that easy. And I, I think it, it's just baseball's funny because UConn has had some really good teams like that 2010 team. I think they had eight major leaguers if I have it right. I mean, it's an absurd number. They had George Springer, Matt Barnes, Nick Ahmed, Mike, Olt, all those guys. And, they got knocked out in the regional. They hosted the regional and they got knocked out. And the next year they lost some of those guys, but they still um, were a really good team. And they got to a super regional that year, ran into the buzzsaw that was South Carolina when they were just winning national championship after national championship. But then even last year's team, last year's team really could have made it to the final. They had the talent to, and what happened was they just lost that first game against Washington and had to play during the day, every single day. And we went down there and, and let me tell you, it was hot. It was really hot. It was like 90 degrees was the lowest temperature of any day we were there. The sun was out every day. The humidity was way up. The sun would go down and it would still be just as hot. And they had to play out in the sun every day. And that last day when they got eliminated, they had to play a doubleheader. And you could, they were just dead. They had nothing left. So it's really going to come down to that first game, I think, in my opinion.
1: Yeah. I, I think that's really kind of a tone setting thing. And it, it, it's a momentum thing is, is crazy of a term is that, that is, especially with, it seems like with college baseball, the the momentum and just kind of the way everyone feels after that first game can really set the tone for the whole tournament, to be totally honest.
2: Yeah. And just the other thing is that obviously you've got Fioli on the mound and, Then you've got Jeff Kirsten, who's for the most part been a pretty good number two this year. But if you have to maybe play four games in the losers bracket, that fourth game, you're really starting to push your luck pitching wise. I mean, you've got guys like a guy like Colby Dunlop, who's pretty objectively been terrible this year, but pitched really well in the conference tournament when he came in, pitched really well in the NCAA tournament last year. Are you going to get Colby who has shown up well in playoffs or Colby that's been bad in the regular season? Every pitcher you put in basically besides Fioli and Kirsten in terms of starters is a gamble. And I think if you're in, if you win that first game and can stay in the winner's bracket and only have to win three games, you're increasing your odds significantly. Whereas if you have a must win game and you're putting out a guy like Jimmy Wang, who's been uh, really effective at times and then other times can't find the plate and is just gotten lit up That becomes a risky proposition. Yeah. That you basically took the words right out of my mouth. That's the thing is just,
1: this isn't a problem, you know, just for UConn, this is what separates, you know, the truly elite teams from the rest of the pack. But that pitching depth is really important because like you said, while it is, you know, You can lose some games and stay alive. Um, It does chip away your pitching depth. And uh, even with the way college baseball works and how, you know, college baseball coaches are in general in regards to kind of throwing guys on short rest, um, they're still not going to be able to throw horses like Fioli or or Wallace um, as much as they probably need to. So um, it'll be interesting to see how Penders navigates that. That's something that he, you know, has experience with and it's going to come down to someone in, out of those names that you mentioned, uh, whether it's Wang or or Kirsten or Dangino or someone else, uh, stepping up and trying to eat some innings and trying to make an impact.
2: Yeah, and that's, I think, where UConn's northeast status kind of hurts them because they can't get the big recruits. As we know, all the big recruits go down south to the SEC to the warm places where they can play year-round. And Penders makes this program off developing players from like you said, guys who didn't have scholarship offers like Jake Wallace into the best closer in the country. But because you're doing that, you're bringing in freshmen that maybe aren't so polished and they're not ready for the big spot when you need them in the tournament. Whereas if you get the equivalent of a baseball five-star recruit, that would be UConn's ace or second best pitcher as a freshman. Like it, that's where it's really hard for UConn to compete with those schools once it gets to the NCAA tournament, you need a ton of pitching depth in the tournament and that reared its head in clear water. So it, like you said, it's going to, someone's going to have to step up and yeah. that'll be the difference maker. Yeah. And I mean, that's something
1: that, you know, more likely than not is always going to be a problem. Um, but something that we've talked about, uh, you know, we've written about on the blog and, and talked about at times on the podcast, um, you know, new facilities are on the way. So that could help with the, on the recruiting trail. Um, definitely a lot easier for Penders to keep top-notch recruits in-state when you're going to NCAA tournaments year in and year out um, because that's the goal for a lot of players that, that want to be here for three to four years. So um, it, it'll definitely be interesting. It should be, should be pretty fun to watch. Uh, it seems like an exciting team and one that uh, definitely has the talent to make a run, especially if they get hot.
2: Yeah, definitely. I agree. I mean this team could pretty much just as easily lose its first two games as it could get to a super regional. It's just been a very up and down team, I guess it's just, you don't really know what you can get on any given day. And I think even Penders would admit that. So hopefully the good team can show up this weekend and beyond.
1: All right. Now that we've given you a little preview of what to expect from the Huskies, uh, we're going to dive into the regional and give some predictions. But before that,
0: Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy.
2: Fall guy. That's what the poster said?
0: See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Turn to make out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May third. Rated PG thirteen.
1: All right. Thanks for listening to that great advertisement from the uh, ad of choice by SB Nation and Vox. So. With that being said, it's time to get into the nitty-gritty of the Oklahoma City Regional here. So, UConn is the two-seed in the four-team regional. Uh, Oklahoma State is the number one seed, followed by Nebraska at the three-seed, and Harvard as the four-seed. So, Dan, I don't know if you want to just go through and and rip off some of your knowledge, uh, enlighten us with uh, anything you know about these three other teams in the regional. I know... Uh, UConn and Harvard were travel partners d- uh, down to uh, Oklahoma city. This, you know, I believe it was Wednesday. They traveled, um, but they haven't played together. They haven't played against each other in the regular season since the seventies or
2: so. Correct. It's been a while. The um, I couldn't find it on the media guide. The first time they played was 1923. I mistakenly thought that was the first time, the last time they played, they definitely played before that, but, I couldn't find an exact date in the media guide. As for the teams, UConn really doesn't play any of them a whole lot. I mean, all time for Harvard being a new England team, they've only played 11 times ever. And Harvard has a winning record, Oklahoma state. I think they've played three times and I don't think any of them have been recently Nebraska, who they're playing in the first round is actually pretty interesting because they've only played one time in program history. It was Also an NCAA tournament game back in 1979, them and UConn played UConn killed them. It was 15 to nothing that 1979 happens to be the last time UConn went to the college world series. And that is 30 years ago from this year. So maybe history is looking to repeat itself.
1: Yeah. Uh, And just another fun fact here, Oklahoma state's the, uh, the number nine seed national seed for the tournament. Um, and they will not be playing at their home ballpark. Um, They've had more than 12 inches of rain in the Stillwater, Oklahoma area since May 15th, so basically the last two weeks, and uh, it's made the playing surface at LEP Reynolds Stadium, apparently home field of the Pokes, unplayable. So they're going to be hosting it in at Chickasaw Bricktown Ballpark in Oklahoma City, um, which makes sense why it's the Oklahoma City Regional and not the Stillwater Regional, so... Um, Definitely interesting. Not sure if that really will kind of affect it, but I know um, when UConn played, obviously when UConn hosted a regional in 2010, they weren't going to play at the JOC. And uh, it definitely is different when you're not playing at your true home field. So could be something that may throw the uh, the Cowboys off
2: their game a little bit. Yeah. And uh, it just if you didn't know, like me, I just Googled it. Uh, Stillwater is about an hour away from Oklahoma City. I'm curious, just kind of on a different note, when Elliott Ballpark UConn's new field does get built, if UConn ever does actually host a regional, or I guess we'll learn this because they did submit a bid to host this season and it was for Dodd Stadium because it didn't really line up with Dunkin' Donuts Park, but since they will have like a legitimate stadium to play in that's not a high school field, I wonder if they're going to submit to host at that ballpark on campus, or if they're still going to try and go for Dunkin' Donuts park, that'll be interesting. Cause it's still only a 1500 seat stadium. So I don't know if there's NCAA requirements or anything, but that'll be something interesting to watch.
1: Yeah. I mean, that that's a great point. I personally would love to see a uh, Huskies host a regional at Dunkin' Donuts park. Um, they, they've they really done well for regular season games there. So I think, uh, you know, a tournament, uh, regional weekend would, would just be phenomenal. So hopefully that's something that we see, uh, sometime soon, uh, or we see it at, at Elliot field up at stores.
2: Yeah. I did. also, it's not out of the realm of possibility that they could host a super regional at Dunkin' Donuts park if they win. And then a lower seed in the regional they're paired up with, which is the Texas tech regional is, um, uh lower seed comes out of that. So it's not out of the realm that that happens. It's a little unlikely, but we can keep hope alive for a little bit.
1: Yeah. And I'm not a hundred percent sure if this is true, but I do believe that Dunkin' Donuts is very firmly in play for a super regional. If, if that is to happen. Uh, but like Dan said, there's a lot of baseball to be played before we get there.
2: All right. So what's your prediction for this thing?
1: All right. Let me put on my uh, college baseball expert hat on here. Get everything situated. Um, I, you know, I, I think it's tough. I think this is a good team that Penders has, uh, having a, a stud starting pitcher and Fioli and an elite reliever like Wallace makes a big difference. And between Prado, the Winkle brothers, the Fedco brothers, uh, there's definitely some power in the middle of that lineup, but, um, I, I think Oklahoma state is probably going to advance. I know it's easy to say picking the, the number nine overall seed and the number one seed in the region, but, um. They're only an hour away from their home field. That isn't that far by Oklahoma standards. Um, I think they'll kind of use that to advance to the super regional.
2: Yeah, I definitely have a hard time disagreeing there. Like I said, UConn's been really up and down this year. You don't really know which team you're going to get on any given night. Uh, But I'm going to kind of look at it a different way. So uh, if you think of Nebraska and you look at that first matchup, Nebraska once thought it was a good idea to hire Bob Diaco as its football coach, Great point. As its defensive coordinator. So, really, what kind of athletic department do they really have? And then, where did Bob Diaco go after Nebraska? Oklahoma, which is in the same state. It's not the same school, but it's in the same state. But Bob Diaco's presence has already been in Oklahoma. I think that means Yukon's going to run clear through this regional. Dan, I, um, I like that's my scientific prediction. I like the
1: logic. I love the analysis. Uh, the only thing is that. We UConn hired Bob Diaco to be its head football coach. So it's a little uh a little hole in that argument, I think, but right, other but, than that, the logic is sound.
2: But since we've hired him, everything he's touched has died. That's true. Right? That's so fair. Nebraska, dead. Oklahoma, dead. Louisiana, I'm sorry. That'd be fair. But <laughs> yeah, it should, it should be interesting.
0: Uh, I I think regardless, uh I I don't think this is going to be I know Dan, what did UConn go last year in the group? They go 1 and 2 in uh
2: the coastal region last year? I believe they went 2 and 2 because they beat uh oh, LIU right. in the second game and then they beat Coastal in that wild back and forth affair, but then it right. was the final. Like, they would have had to beat Washington twice, which never mm-hmm. happened. So that's why it's important to stay out of the losers bracket. Yeah, so
0: I, I don't think that will be the case for UConn this year. I definitely think they'll be in the mix with, with Oklahoma State. I don't think it's going to be, you know, clear cut. and The Cowboys will just roll through, but um, it'll definitely be interesting to see how that plan- kind of pans out. And uh, the UConn blog will actually be there, has some boots on the ground coverage. So uh, we'll have photos and, and some, you know, notes and quotes from each and every game. So. Uh, be sure to follow along with the UConn blog over the course of the next few days as we uh, follow the Huskies and they try to make a trip to Omaha.
2: Yeah, hook C, baby.
0: All right, well, that will do it for today's episode of the UConn pod. Thanks for listening and hope to talk to you all soon.
2: While they've only played once ever between the two programs, uh, the Bruins just lost. Oh, I'm on delay, man. I'm sorry. I thought you were the same as me. It's all right. This is good
1: content for the podcast. <laughs> so final score, St. Louis 3, Boston 2. Uh, the Blues have scored on the road three minutes and 51 seconds into overtime. So to
2: any Bruins uh, fans listening to this, I'm sorry. To any uh, anti-Boston fans listening to this, congratulations. To any Whalers fans listening to this, bless your soul. Series is tied 1-1. Yeah. Um, (laughs) That concludes our hockey coverage for the night. So thanks (laughs) thanks
1: for listening for that.